Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Perfect Faith Podcast. I'm your host, Kirk Klingerman, and this is Episode 9 of Season 4. In this episode, we are wrapping up the book, Perfect Faith, His Faith, Not Ours, which also happens to be Chapter 9, which is entitled Rest. Next week, we're going to be airing the interview that we had with Pablo Acosta, who's the host of Benchin in the Kitchen. Again, like I said last time, you don't want to miss it. That's October 22nd is when we're going to launch that one out. Uh, you might have heard me a couple of podcasts ago also say that we we're going to make that a video, but we had technical difficulties, so that didn't happen. But we, again, we have the audio version. But after that, what we're hoping to do, and Lord willing, we're going to be also videoing these podcasts as we go, so you can both watch or listen uh, whichever way you want to go with it. You can also expect some long-term teaching on the video side of the house that are going to be 20 to 30 minutes long. We've got on our YouTube channel, which is the perfect, Fa- which is perfectfaith.org, um, or Perfect Faith, rather, um, some one-minute or short videos we call Perfect Faith Shorts. But in addition to that, we're going to be adding 20 to 30-minute teachings and then some of them we're going to incorporate into the podcast itself. Actually, we'll probably incorporate all of them, you know, for another added resource. So anyway, on YouTube, look us up there. You can find it underneath my name or Perfect Faith. And, you know, that'll be coming your way shortly. So without any further ado, we'll jump into the book in Chapter 9, entitled Rest, Faithfulness. One aspect of faith that can be easily overlooked is rest. It may be taught from time to time, but how much gets forgotten? Rest is not necessarily just cessation from activity. It's allowing one's mind to be at ease. It's too easy to confuse busyness with being busy about my father's business. If people are faithful to God, they will be faithful to in the things of God. It is not the other way around. In other words, Too many get caught up in the activity. They're always going, trying to be faithful in the things God has given them to do. Their heart's in the right place, but their method may cause them to become ineffective. It's important to stop, wait, and listen first. When the Lord gives you instruction, then faithfully act. Be careful to neither add to nor take away from His instructions. Faith comes by hearing, while faithfulness corresponds to hearing and obedience. Part of rest is focusing on one thing at a time. When we focus on one thing at a time, it allows our mind to rest in other areas. It allows those other areas to become more fruitful because rest allows creativity to rejuvenate, enables you to see them with a fresh perspective when revisiting them. This is similar to the seventh-day year rest for the land found in the Law of Moses. Nothing was planted or harvested in that year. When it was allowed to rest, it produced more fruit. Even science has verified this principle. When a land is overworked, the soil burns out and loses its nutrients. In the time of rest, it's allowed to be replenished. When we focus one thing at a time, we are less distracted and more productive. In writing this book, I had to break it down by chapters and sections. While writing one chapter at a time, I had to take it one thought, 
one page and one section at a time. I found that by separating things out in this manner, creativity would flow more readily, and I was less overwhelmed by the overall project. In the same way, we do occasionally need to fully shut down everything and relax. If we are constantly given out, we will run out. We cannot give what we don't have. We need to be replenished. Faithfulness to God means fellowship with Him. It means waiting on Him. It's trust in Him with a vision He has given us. When we rest in Him and wait on Him, we are also waiting by faith. In the end, He's going to get all the glory for the results. Being faithful means giving God all the glory. There are moments when it would be a good idea to walk away from a situation or activity that doesn't seem to be coming together and then come back to it later. It's called letting go. In my personal life, I've often found this principle to be very valuable in the wonderful world of mechanics. While working on cars, there had been many instances when things just did not want to go back together, like that single hard-to-reach bolt that would not thread into place. After numerous attempts with changing tactics, it was still not cooperating. Finally, after walking away from it for a few minutes, and then trying, the boat went right in where it belonged, just as if I was, you know, a professional. In retrospect, some of those 10-minute jobs would have only taken 10 minutes instead of the two hours they actually took if I would have actually practiced this principle. Similarly, I found that if my mind was not totally focused on the task at hand, things took a lot longer. It also seemed that the more I thought about the length of time it was taken to thread that bolt in, the longer it took, especially if I had other things I wanted to do or had other places to be. When I let go of those other things, things came together much quicker. It may have been I was trying to carry out my own agenda instead of God's. This principle applies to all areas of life. Our ability to rest and accomplish things often correspond with those correspond to whose agenda we're trying to fulfill. We are bought with a price and we are not our own. Therefore, it would behoove us to pay attention to God's agenda. This may be why some occasionally struggle with prayer or reading the Bible. Those moments they find themselves struggling to pray might be when they're supposed to be in the Word. The opposite may also be true. They find reading the scriptures to be a struggle because they're supposed to be praying instead. Perhaps neither is the case. It may be simply time to relax. This is only one illustration, but this principle applies to all areas of our life. It pays to stop and ask the Lord. Rest. Prayer. Believe it or not, part of rest is prayer. More can get done through prayer than activity, especially if it is activity without prayer. Part of prayer is rest. Ask the Lord for whom or what to pray and how to pray before launching out. Too often people burn out with prayer because they're struggling with the prayer itself. They pull out long prayer lists and pray over them, which is a good thing. However, over a period of time, the prayers may become repetitious or perhaps less effective. 
Have you ever sensed an unction to pray but didn't know for whom or what you were supposed to pray? So you began to pray without direction? Or perhaps you prayed in the Spirit, and that leads to an important key, asking asking the Lord for direction and letting Holy Spirit lead. In the Lord's Prayer, one of the points Jesus made was, Thy will be done. Remember, he said what the Father said and did what he saw him do. Jesus said, For I came down from heaven, not to do mine will, but the will of him that sent me. When we pray in the Spirit and allow him to pray for us, we are praying according to the will of the Father. We're praying in his strength instead of our own, which is a state of rest. Mindfulness. Rest includes being mindful, more specifically, being mindful of the things of God. The things of God renew the mind and keep it in a state of peace. If peace escapes us, it's advantageous to get into the Word. If tempted to get agitated, stop and focus on God. Push out the junk by zeroing in on Him. Be mindful. Being mindful means purposed focused or focused purpose. We purpose to focus on the Lord and the things of God while staying focused on our purpose. Peace comes with paying attention to the details we're supposed to be centered on. Mindfulness pushes out the clutter, brings clarity. With clarity comes peace. Escape. For the workaholic, it is okay to rest. If you're working to avoid being quiet or to avoid circumstances, something is wrong. Try this exercise. Sit alone quietly for 10 minutes without outside stimuli, you know, TV, radio, reading materials, etc., or anything mood-altering, alcohol, medication, and so on. Were you able to relax with total peace? Did you need people around you? What did you think about? In order to be at ease, you need to be at peace with God. Sometimes there are issues needing to be addressed, such as repentance, unforgiveness, and disobedience. It may be that Holy Spirit is dealing with you, and that may include the calling from which Some of you are running away. There may be wounds that need healing or even grief avoidance. Grieving is a part of life and the healing process associated with loss. Sometimes we need to be alone so we can let go and have a good cry. In the end, there is peace. Peace will not come by escapism. Repentance. Repentance has been covered in various places throughout this book. As already stated, without repentance, there is no rest because there is no peace with God. In this section, we will tie everything concerning repentance together. This section is not intended to be exhaustive, but it will lay a good foundation. True repentance is an act of love on the part of the believer. The focus is outward instead of inward. The concern is for the person who's been offended or hurt instead of one who says, I'm sorry I blew it. I can do better than that. Others might be inclined to go with, I'm a terrible person, and turn it into a pity party disguised as godly sorrow. That type of repentance is not repentance at all. It is pride trying to avoid exposure. When the focus is inward, it becomes selfish in nature. And out of this often comes rationalization. 
Excuses are a dime a dozen, and none of them lead to change. They enable one to continue in the same pattern which could possibly lead to self-destruction. Excuses may signal one doesn't have the desire to change. They should serve as a warning sign of heart issues with which one may need to deal. Selfish or carnal repentance only concerns itself with appearances. It only cares about the hurt or offenses caused to another to the extent that it makes one look bad or ungodly. Furthermore, the extent of concern may be based on the possible consequences of the offense, similar to, I'm sorry I got busted. In other words, the concern is not someone was hurt or offended. Rather, the worry is that the other person may retaliate or confront it. The apology is not pure in nature. It is an act of self-preservation, kind of like a young child saying, I'm sorry, in order to avoid being spanked. In relation to God, it would be good to ask ourselves if we are more concerned with losing a blessing or even going to hell than possibly hurting our father. Look at Saul, whom God set up to be king over Israel, for example. When he failed to carry out God's instructions concerning the destruction of the Amalekites, the Lord rejected him from being king. As we read on, it would appear that God was that Saul rather was repenting, when in reality he was more concerned with keeping his position and saving face. Look at his words. I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandments of the Lord and your words, because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Now, therefore, I pray you, pardon my sin and turn again with me that I may worship the Lord. I have sinned, yet honor me now. I pray you before the elders of my people and before Israel and turn again with me that I may worship the Lord your God. He does admit he sinned, but immediately he uses the fear of man as an excuse for his failure. It appears he wants to worship the Lord, but in reality, we find he's primarily concerned with being honored before man. Looking at the last four words he uses really indicates that he is not a true follower of God, and therefore did not repent. The Lord, thy God. He did not say, my God. He said, thy God. Of course, the Lord had already told Samuel that Saul turned back from following him. An apology, therefore, can be an act of manipulation, especially when there is no true godly sorrow involved. True repentance wants to make things right for the sake of the other person. It is not concerned with looking good, nor does it offer up empty excuses. Real repentance desires real change, which includes the destruction of pride. This is where the inward focus should be in relation to the self. True love, or agape, concerns itself only with the recipient. The, motion, the motivation behind repentance isn't based on the fear of loss, which includes the fear of losing a relationship. It's based on strengthening the relationship on the basis of love. Part of that strengthening involves confessing our faults to one another and asking for forgiveness. Which is easier, saying I'm sorry or asking for forgiveness? Merely saying I'm sorry may imply one either believes he has done nothing wrong or he's not truly sorrowful. 
When pride is involved, saying I'm sorry is easier. When asking forgiveness, we're asking to be released of wrongdoing. It is a place of vulnerability. One reason some don't ask for forgiveness is it would be an admittance of misconduct. It may be connected to the attitude that says, why do I need to ask for forgiveness? I didn't do anything wrong. Or, what I did wasn't that bad. Pure pride detests the idea of having to receive from someone, and thus, one may deflect, I'm not receiving anything from him. A third possibility is one wants to play God. They want to be punished for what they've done. They want to carry the burden of the hurt until they feel they've somehow made it right. But that is doing things on their own terms. It is not God's way of doing things. Jesus said, when a brother is offended, we are to go to him and make it right. If we are truly repentant, we want to do things his way. Kingdom. Understanding kingdom principles and living in them are conducive to walking by faith or by the faith of Jesus and being in a state of rest. The will of God and his kingdom are interwoven. They go hand in hand. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done are placed together. God's kingdom is centered on his will. Things such as healing and provision are based on this truth. In all, his glory shall fill and be fulfilled in them both. For he is glorified as his kingdom and his will go forward. Notice, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Righteousness is the scepter of his kingdom. Provision comes to fulfill the needs of the kingdom. Without righteousness, the provision would destroy the recipient in the end. Because the things of the kingdom are to be handled righteously, if a person will not walk in righteousness and holiness, he will have no part in the Lord. When you walk upright, seeking the Father's will in order to fulfill the needs of the kingdom, the Lord is free to provide. Those who seek the provision in order to fulfill their lusts and to promote themselves miss the true provision. Needs are met according to the will of God as they relate to his kingdom. In his mercy, God occasionally withholds. If he were to provide more than people are able to handle, they would be placed in jeopardy of judgment because the Lord holds people accountable for their stewardship. Yes, the unrepentant are given over to their lust, but to his children who love him, he gives as they are able to receive righteously. Just as the novice should not hold the office of a bishop lest pride overtake him, God may withhold something from a person to protect him from judgment and loss of reward. Those who seek to steal God's glory and provision will be held accountable. Those who handle what the Lord's given them in a righteous manner will receive great rewards. This is why it's vital to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, that is, placing God, his will, and kingdom ahead of anyone or anything else. During Jesus' ministry, the miracles and healings all pointed to the Father and furtherance of the kingdom. Time and again it was written, the people glorified God. Jesus made sure he glorified the Father in everything. 
Those who participate in signs and wonders in order to glorify themselves are in danger of the judgment. Therefore, it's vital to seek God's, seek God's will first in order to give him the foremost importance while advancing his kingdom. It is important to underscore the fact that a ministry's purpose is to advance the kingdom. The kingdom's purpose is not to promote someone's ministry. Essentially, when people become more concerned or more conscious of their own ministries, competition and division may very well set in. A good steward sees to it that the ministry advances the kingdom and glorifies God. He or she will desire other ministries to succeed in the advance as well. No envy or jealousy. Wealth is stored up for the righteous because the righteous will use it to promote the kingdom of God, not their own, and glorify Him, not themselves. When people seek the kingdom of God in order to get out of debt, they are not using these things righteously. When they seek it to live lavishly, they're handling the things unrighteously. This is another reason denying ourselves, picking up our cross, and following Him are keys to the kingdom. People are blessed to be a blessing. People are made a blessing to glorify the Father and further His kingdom. Good stewards are aware of the fact that they represent Him. God extends His kingdom out of love, and those who love Him extend it to others for His sake. As faith is a kingdom principle, love makes it work. Think kingdom in relation to everything you do or possess, and above all, let your love for God be your motivation. In this is rest. Reality. Ask, and it shall be given. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened unto you. For everyone that asks, receives. And he that seeks, finds. And to him that knocks, it shall be opened. Matthew 7, verse 7 and 8. When we ask God, according to his will, the Father is free to give. This is where deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow me comes into play. If we are going to ask according to his will, the flesh must be denied so we are not asking according to a lust. By submitting to the Spirit as you seek the Lord's face, the flesh is crucified. A pure heart receives the things of God, making it necessary to yield ourselves as instruments of righteousness in putting on the new man. The reason that some struggle to see spiritual things, let alone receive them, is they're looking through the eyes of the flesh instead of the spirit. The natural realm will be more real to the fleshly-minded than the spiritual-minded. Thus, we find the importance of becoming spiritually-minded so the spiritual realm becomes more real. Circumstance, circumstances must not dictate our reality. For example, while in the boat in the midst of the storm, the disciples came to Jesus and said, Master, don't you care that we perish? That's fear, not faith. Looking through the eyes of the flesh makes circumstances more real than the Lord's word. Let's go to the other side. Look at the contrast. Water was coming into the boat because of the storm. The disciples were panicked because of the circumstances surrounding them. Meanwhile, Jesus was asleep in the back of the boat, totally at peace, even when the water was coming in. When you are in a storm, take God at his word, and then you will hear, 
peace, be still. The Father knows your every circumstance and is not blind to it nor indifferent. On the other hand, the flesh is blind to him and the things of the Spirit. Therefore, crucify the flesh, and you will find as you seek. In the seeking, there will be peace. Salah. Then when you knock, the door will be opened, and you will be able to follow. Indeed, if we are going to follow Jesus and see the door on which to knock, the previous step must be taken first. Ask according to our Father's will in order to receive the things of the kingdom, which includes the things required to accomplish His will. Crucify the flesh as you seek His face and will, then you will be able to clearly see the open door through which to follow. Follow means to do as He does, similar to follow the leader, except this is no game. There must be integrity of the heart. Therefore, let His holiness and righteousness prevail in your life. In this, you will find rest as you follow. Maturity Knowledge is not the sign of maturity, but it should accompany it. Rest does not include putting things on our shoulders that don't belong there. We can get trapped into the idea of knowing a lot makes you mature. Taking that one step further, it would be plausible to believe you're not mature if you don't believe as much as someone else, or perhaps not mature as he or she. Of course, we shouldn't be in the business of comparing ourselves with others. That is not wisdom. If we get in the area of comparing our knowledge with theirs, we are in danger of becoming prideful. It would be better to focus on being where God wants us. Knowledge puffs up, but charity edifies. 1 Corinthians 8 verse 1 Therein lies the danger of knowledge when it is left to itself. Pride. It would be better to have limited knowledge with love than to have great knowledge without it. If a person lacks love, he lacks maturity. Lack of patience also reveals a lack of maturity because it means one is not allowing Holy Spirit to lead. At the end of the day, love and patience are elements of the fruit of the Spirit. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall in diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith works patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. With patience comes maturity, and when we have patience, we can endure to the end. In summary, those who do not walk in the fruit of the Spirit, being unsubmissive, lack wisdom. If they are prideful because of knowledge or seek knowledge in order to be superior to others, they lack real depth. Time and age are not necessarily the measure of maturity either. Some refuse to submit to God's working, therefore fail to achieve any real growth. Those who insist on doing things on their terms instead of the Lord's never come to age, much less bear much fruit. How many are just as immature after many years as the day they were first born again. Conversely, how many times have we seen those who mature quickly because of a submissive spirit and quickly surpass older believers as a result? Humility is the key to maturity. It's important to remain teachable no matter how long we've walked in the Lord and how much knowledge we've acquired. 
Those who are slow to speak and quick to listen have a greater maturity level than those who answer quickly, believing they know it all. Those who need to flaunt their knowledge have yet to grow up. That's the pride of life, which may reveal a possible need for healing in some areas of their life, or they simply need to repent of it. If you do not know as much as you think you should know, for whatever reason, don't worry about it. Rest in the Lord and ask Holy Spirit to teach you what you, what and how much you need to know. As long as you are submissive to Him, He'll get you where you need to be. But if any man love God, the same is known of Him. 1 Corinthians 8 verse 3 What matters more than how much we know is that God knows us. Resting in the Relationship Each individual is unique and is made a certain way in order to have a relationship with Abba that differs from anyone else. Therefore, he loves them for them alone, not because they are like anyone else. Though he's equal, he treats each person differently based upon their uniqueness and the distinct relationship he has with them. Each person worships God in his or her own way, yet we are all to worship him in spirit and in truth. The way each individual treat him is different because each person has a unique personality. Therefore, the love that is exchanged is both pure and personal. It's pure in that each individual is loved individually and yet equally. It's not based on on households in a natural sense, for everyone who has such a relationship is of the house of God. There is no reason to be envious or jealous of others. Each person can come as close to Abba as they want, and he is as close to them or her as he or she allows. He loves each of his children as if there is no one else to love, and that means each of us can rest in the relationship with full assurance. Each person's voice is distinct, even though some individuals may sound similar. Therefore, when they lift up their voices to him, he hears them individually. Not that he needs contrasting voices to differentiate one person to another. After all, he is all-knowing. No two individuals are exactly the same. Consequently, each individual can be confident in him and the relationship without concern that someone else will receive more attention, otherwise known as jealousy. He is equal. God wants to see and hear people worship Him in their own way in accordance to the way He made them. We don't need to mimic one another nor covet one another's gifts. We are to use and develop the ones He's given each of us. Since the gifts and talents are distributed in the way He sees fit, they will only work in the truest sense for whom they are designed and no one else. As God is infinite in power, His love is unfailing because He is love. He is able to love everyone equally and have a unique relationship with you and me. When individuals gather together and and truly worship God, they will be in one accord, worshiping with one heart, one voice, as one body. As we put our first love first, we are free to love one another without purity. We will appreciate each other's gifts and talents. We will love and love to encourage each other and see each other blessed. When you are resting in the relationship with Abba, you are free to love. While living in that relationship, 
you will have the confidence to walk by faith. He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Romans 8, verse 32. Think about it. God the Father did not spare his son from the crucifixion for your sake. Knowing this, how will he not freely give you all things with him? If we are children of God, which by definition are those who are led by his Spirit, we are also true heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. The things of God are given to us because we are joint heirs. This means we can ask by faith with absolute confidence and trust we will receive what we prayed for according to His will. It is based on the relationship found by faith in Jesus Christ, not by our works. We do not have to jump through the hoops or be good enough before we can ask and receive. Moreover, it's His will we have a relationship. It was His decision first. Beloved, the Father wants to bless us. He wants to bless you. Therefore, walk confidently by faith of Jesus, for His faith is now our faith. Finally, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Galatians 2, verse 20. His faith sees things complete before they are manifested. Before you were born, God knew you. He not only knew you, He had purposes for your life. You have a destiny to fulfill, and it is by His faith it will be accomplished. He made the provision for every single aspect of your life in order for you to meet it, even the times you've blown it. As you read this, you might be thinking you've already blown it altogether. No. He knew about every mistake you would ever make along the way and yet made provision for every one of them in order to get you to your destination. Just as he knew about your sins before you were born and made the perfect provision of the blood of Jesus Christ, remember, God declares the ending from the beginning. If the Lord has already spoken a word to you about that destiny, keep in mind he's already aware of your mistakes before he spoke it. Think about it. It's not about you. It's about Him. I pray that the Lord clearly reveals to you His perfect will for your life with all clarity. May He reveal His love to you in a most profound and perfect way. May you come into the depths of intimacy that He desires to have with you, and in the process, may you completely realize His healing for you, spirit, soul, and body. May his peace be multiplied in you, and may your heart ever be filled with joy. May you accomplish great exploits for his kingdom because you know him. More than that, may you be known of him. May God richly bless you in every aspect of your life as he lives big inside of you. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, I pray, amen. That concludes chapter 9. And that also concludes the book, Perfect Faith, His Faith, Not Ours. Perfectly, that blessed you, and there was a lot of things to unpack. So maybe as an idea, you know, at some point, maybe just go back through these episodes and just review what you heard. And of course, if it's really blessed you, you know, be sure to share it with someone else or 
other people, it's maybe something that they need to hear, something that could help them along their way in their walk. And uh, another idea is if you don't have a physical copy of the book, maybe pick one up and read it for yourself. And that you can find on our website, which is perfectfaith.org. Remember, next time we meet together will be our interview with Pablo Acosta, who is the host of Benching in the Kitchen. And, and be sure to check out his, his uh, podcast. It, it'll bless you. So with all that, we will conclude this, this episode. So Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters and come in agreement with you for them. I pray that you give them the full knowledge of your perfect will with all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Prosper them in every way, Father, in every area of their life. Bless their households, and again, let their households be a sanctuary of peace. I ask in Jesus' name, amen. Be blessed, my friend. <music>